Go ahead and have a seat, church, and welcome in you who are live streaming today and joining us from uh, lots of places. We're glad you're here. There's one thing you can't uh, be a part of in this very moment, but I want to tell you about it, and that is if you're one of the children in uh, our viewing audience or those that are here today, um, we have a great children's ministry. Just go. Have, I don't need my help. They don't need any prompting from me. They're on their way. So, um, And uh, many of you, their parents are hanging out. We're going to get deep in God's word right now. But can I just say something? <laughs> you probably, uh, I wish we could all take turns and come up here and actually look out and see faces. <laughs> like whole faces. I've said to several of you, like, I didn't know you had a mouth. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I haven't seen your teeth in a year, uh, but this is really cool, and it, it's a long time in coming, isn't it? It's, uh, it's really great, and uh, we look forward to more and more of an opening spirit that lets us uh, truly um, fellowship with one another. We're, of course, heading to the goal of greeting one another with a holy kiss, so there, that's where we're heading, but it's not quite here yet. Anyway, we're glad for that and uh, excited for... Uh, What's ahead? Uh, if uh, I want you to just imagine something. I want to plunge right into this. Uh, can a person ever completely uh, recover from an epic fail? An epic public fail? Now save your answer because that's the question that this master moment, the uh, second to the last in our series that has lasted uh, many months and been a pleasure to be a part of, uh, seeks to answer. This message is for every one of us listening or hearing and um, personalizing what you're about to hear, who've messed up. Let me stop. How many have ever messed up? I need help holding my arm because I fixed my fence yesterday. It is really sore. So you put your hands down. All right, so we know what it's like to mess up. But the question is, uh, can that person, if you've ever wondered, can they really recover? This message is for you. And it's for you if you haven't quite concluded that. In other words, you're in it right now still. There's a piece of brokenness that holds you back. You're wondering if that's just going to be that ball and chain you drag around with you for the rest of your days. Um, maybe you've seen the yard sign or, or heard the expressions, your mistakes don't define you. Have you been on the same walking trail that Debbie and I uh, are on? It's near our house, actually, and there's, it's random. It's not in front of anybody's house. Uh, it's out on a trail, and there's this sign we saw just this week, and it says, your, your mistakes don't define you. I thought about that, and uh, it found its way into my message, because I think it's a good start, but I think it stops short of the truth. Here's how I'd like to say it, and I'm giving you a moment to grab a pen, because I think this is the truth that God's Word's going to present to us this morning. So here it is. Your, your mistakes may not define you. I'm not saying for sure won't. I'm saying your mistakes may not define you, but they are meant 
to be defining for you. It's a difference there. Your mistakes may not uh, define you. In some cases, they are right now defining you. But your mistakes may not define you, but they're meant to be defining for you. Some of you are wordsmiths. You're thinking already that word meant is big there. Meant by whom? By the people that want to keep you down? No. By the God that wants to lift you up? Yes. By the God that says, I know what you did, but I want to move past that. In fact, I want, I've forgotten about it. I just wish you'd join me. <laughs> it's, it's over, that's over and done because of my blood. So this message this morning is a biblical picture of that principle. Peter. As soon as I say that, you know where we're going, right? One of the first disciples who repeatedly promised, my paraphrase, I'll be there for you, Jesus. You can count on me. You're looking at the man. I will walk with you off a bridge. I will go anywhere through fire, through, through the sword. I don't care. I will be there for you, Jesus. That Peter deserted Jesus in the hour of his greatest need. Are we aware of that? Uh, <clears throat> early on the evening that it happened, just before that, that evening I'm referring to as the night that Jesus was arrested and by morning crucified. That night represents what I'm calling his hour of greatest need. I think we could argue it wasn't a literal hour. It was that night in Jesus' life. And he needed uh, support. He got it from his father. He longed for it from his disciples by name, Peter, James, and John. But Peter um, deserted him in his darkest hour. Uh, he had paid, this Peter had taken a very public uh, stand announcing this from John chapter 13. Just listen, we're going to end up in John 21, last chapter of John's gospel. But in John chapter 13, this is Peter saying, you know, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. To which Jesus replied, not way to go, that's cool. All right, Pete, you're my man. No, he asked a question, really? I'm sure if, if you've ever heard somebody say, I'll be there for you, you know, and, and then for you to answer, really? As Jesus did? The truth is, Jesus' words, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Thud. Talk about a, a moment killer. Talk about a, I was feeling so determined. I'm your guide, Jesus. But it turns out, hours later, just as Jesus predicted, Peter denied three times ever knowing him. It was a devastating development. This is hard to say, but it's true. Recorded by all four gospel writers. And three of those four record the very words uh, in the aftermath, the 
call it the impact moment on Peter. I'm quoting from Luke right now in his telling of that moment as it unfolded. Verse 62 of chapter 22, he simply says, And Peter, when the rooster crowed, Peter broke down and wept bitterly. That wasn't a guy that was frustrated. That wasn't a guy. Those were regret tears. Have you had them? Something went bad and you were the reason. And your tears are bigger than just tears. They're the regret tears. Those are the worst kind, by the way. Do you know that? That's why I live much of my life saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go that direction because I don't want to regret going there. Usually that stops me, but sometimes I'll blow by those little barricades, mental barricades. Maybe you have too. And then it leads to that regret moment where you just go, and everything in you wants to undo what was done, right? You been there? Show me you've been there. You been there? You know somebody that has? Show me your other hand, all right? We all know somebody, or we are that somebody. Um, those were, I've just deserted Jesus. Tears. Not sort of, well, not somewhat. That's how we soften it, so we can live on with ourselves. Those were, I fully, completely abandoned him. Peter had failed the Lord in that awful hour and as a result was buried by shame and humiliation. I know I'm getting, it's uncomfortable for some of us. You're, you're, you're hearing a, a pretty accurate description of what it was like for you. Why can't I tell that? I've been there. I know that. You're buried in that moment. There's so much shame and humiliation and, and, and everything that goes with that comes the regret. Here, here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. The Bible doesn't hide any of those facts. Let's say I'm a PR firm. Okay, and my job's to sell Jesus. Some would say, well, duh, that's your job, Pastor. You know. No, that's not what I'm, I'm having you imagine this. I'm a PR firm. I want to sh- sell what we just sang. I want to tell you all the cool things Jesus will do and change your life and make you new and let go of the old sin. It's what I just prayed, right? I want to do that. I'll tell you something. As a PR firm, one thing I'm not going to do is include any details of the junk you do after you turn to Jesus. Right? Hi, buy my cereal. Most people enjoy it. Some die. You don't do that. Buy this car. It's really cool. Um, it'll get 60 miles an hour, uh, miles to the gallon, but sometimes it only gets 10. You don't sell many cars like that, right? You, you don't sell uh, stuff that has a dark side. So if you're trying to sell Jesus, I'm going to get away from me right now. You're the gospel writer. Why in the world would you put dirt in full view of people that 
know Jesus. Only that's the case here. It's the case of Peter. Peter hadn't just disappointed Jesus. He denied ever what? Knowing. Oh, so we agree. He knew Jesus. See what I'm getting at? And he denied knowing him. I don't know that guy. No. Scripture says in one translation of the, that development that he, he cursed with rage at the person asking the question. Peter was the outspoken disciple. I'll be faithful to the end. And it turns out he becomes the I failed you at the beginning guy. Jesus hadn't even left yet. And here's Peter fumbling badly. He was one of the original 12. We know that to be true. For much of the time, he was seen at all the big events with Jesus. That's Peter. I'm not letting go of this very quickly because I want you to get there with me. He was there when they fed 5,000 and a few days later fed another 4,000 with a, a, a lunch-sized starter, a one little boy. Pete was there. Peter, James, and John, actually. Actually, all the disciples. For much of these moments. In fact, did you know that Peter was the first one that correctly identified Jesus? Jesus said, hey, who, who do people say that I am? Pe Peter came through with the right answer. And Jesus goes, good job, Pete. Way to go. Not condescending. He goes, you're the man, Peter. You're no longer Peter. You're the rock. Changed his name, changed everything about him. Peter was that guy. And then the very next chapter, that was in Matthew 16, chapter 17, Peter, James, and John joined Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the mountain. And in front of, among others, Peter, Jesus is transfigured in that most glorious moment. That's Peter. The only one of the 12 at that time that got out of the boat when the waves were crashing against it was Peter. And, he's, and he walked to Jesus part of the way. <laughs> Didn't work out so well. But you got to give him credit. He was in it. He got out. He was committed. He saw it all and took part in most of those memorable moments with the Master. I'm just going to say, talk about a privileged person, Peter. He was, he was the one that saw so much. He was the one who heard so much. And he was the one that, that had so much to say when people said, hey, hey, come here, Peter, Peter, I know you hang around with Jesus. What's he really like? And Peter said, how much time you got? He's that guy. But fair or not, Peter's epic fail was not hidden from view. I'm going to say to you uh, something that I know firsthand. It's a terrible thing to, um, to fail. We know that. But it's, um, it's quite another to have every detail, every horrid detail of your fail part of the permanent record. Um, 
In every way, uh, this mistake that I've taken a good portion of time to tell you about, this mistake uh, was a mistake that would define Peter uh, and, and actually devastate Peter. And in fact, had all the likelihood of destroying Peter. Now we're close to our reality, aren't we? We're like, I'll never recover. I'll never be the me I was. Can I say, that's probably true. And that actually might have a, uh, eventually a redemptive outcome for you. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, I want to say something to you that uh, probably, well, let me tell it this way. It's what connects me to Peter. Is that what connects you to Peter too? You go, you know, Peter was really kind of all over the page. There's, uh, there's, there, there were great things um, about him, but there were these really painful moments. Um, and, um, and it connects me to him. Um, and when I fail, when I stumble badly, uh, you know what happens? It creates something that I have a hard time shaking. Creates a malignant memory. You have that? So quick, don't, for, don't remember. Right now, don't remember your worst fail. Thanks, Pastor. That helps a lot, right? Because you can't not remember it. It's a malignant memory that, that we struggle to shake. So if that's you, let me make this very applicational right now. If that's you right now, we want to pray with you when this service is over. If you're the person that's just going, you're trying hard to hold it back, but you're just like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. Should have slept in, you know. This is hard to remember stuff. Um, we, w- we want to pray with you. We want to help you move past that. We, um, we also want to give you information. Uh, in the rest of this sermon that will not only work for you, but it will work for that person you're thinking about right now. Remember I said, how many of you messed up? A lot of hands. How many of you know somebody that has? A lot of hands. So we got a job to do. When we get this truth in us, don't keep it there. Find the other person that's just buried in shame. Especially that Christian that goes, no, I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. No, you're not. And you're going to find out why right now. Would you find chapter 21 of John's gospel? It's hard to know for sure how much time, as you turn there, let me just tell you, how much time had passed uh, for Peter to obsess over uh, that regretful night. But it was for sure over a week, probably eight to ten days. It's somewhere in there. doesn't matter. The point is he's had a whole week to just, you know, find a wall and go, hi, wall. <laughs> you know, you, that, that feeling. So Peter's beaten himself up for this week. Um, the last chapter here of John um, actually begins in a fairly non, um, I'm, I'm going to just call it nondescript introduction. Look at verse 1. Afterward, <laughs> that connects back to Thomas a week earlier, finally getting the proof he wanted. Afterward, Jesus appears 
again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, which was real nearby where they were in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, we know them as James and John, and two other disciples, we don't know who they are. They were together. Notice these words. It's a quote, verse 3. I'm going out to go fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go. We'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, and had a normal night fishing. They caught nothing. <laughs> Just my little slam on them. So, okay. Um, here's what's clear. Okay, very quickly. Seven disciples, including Peter, traveled 75 miles north because they were down in Jerusalem. Remember back, and it's in chapter 20 at the end there. They were back there in Jerusalem in that upper room, and Jesus was saying to Thomas, look, it's me. See the holes? Oh, that whole story. It's me. I'm back. I rose. And they traveled from there down in Jerusalem north, 75 miles, to the northern shore of Galilee, Tabga, T-A-H-G-B-A. So look it up. You'll find it on a map. Uh, You'll find Capernaum, you're more familiar with that name. Capernaum was one mile, just a little less than one mile to the west of Tabga, okay? So it's on the northern shore. It's where, it's the lo- same location where Jesus called his first four disciples. Remember them? Andrew, Peter, James, and John. So we've talked a lot about them already. It's where he fed the 5,000. A lot of things happening in this location. It's where Jesus actually preached the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the, the Beatitudes, it's been named today, the Mount of Beatitudes, where blessed are they, blessed are they, was part of his message that day. And it's where an angel told the women back in Jerusalem, hey, he is not here, he is risen. Now go tell his followers These beautiful words were added, and Peter. Would you write that down on your notes? And Peter. Go tell his followers and Peter to meet him up in the north in Galilee where he will see them again. So I want to go straight to that exchange, but I can't. Just because what's in between, the exchange between Jesus and Peter up on that shore, it's really cool. We'll get there in a sec. But the rest is just kind of so, I don't know, exciting that it can't be missed. So verse 4, early in the morning, so they went fishing the night before, caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So they're seeing maybe fog or something. They're seeing a figure on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus. Then they hear a voice calling out, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You know, the the look on their face is not recorded here, but it's like, what? what? Who says that? When they did, though, they followed what was suggested they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped 
his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off to fish, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they they were not far from the shore, about a football field away. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged it uh, up to the shore. Uh, drug the net to the shore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask, isn't this a great statement? Who are you? Well, either they knew who he was, or they were like, I'm not sure who you are, but... uh, I like what's happening here. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. They they knew, but they didn't say it. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. If you want all the other times, go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5, and you'll see he appeared to more than 500 others and so on. The list goes. Um. That's, a, that's an incredible catch, wouldn't you say? I mean, um, since you undoubtedly know what verse uh, 11 is saying, how many, you know the reason that 153 are mentioned? Um, there, there's no need for me to explain it to you, right? I mean, yeah, you, okay, good, you know that. Um, why, why are you looking at me like that? Uh, I mean, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, if you want um, an adventure in missing the point, research this. It's really fun. It's very entertaining. And there are, there are guys with PhDs next to their name that are convinced they've got it. How many believe that 153 fish is a lot of fish? Show me amazement on your face right now. Okay, there's the reason they're mentioned. Okay, the number's mentioned. It could, couldn't be a lot more than that. But we go from that to a dialogue. And it's worth our time. A dialogue on the shore that day that proved, my words today, to be defining for Peter. And I think for us as well. Pick up with me in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Let me stop right now and have you look at verse 20 so you know how this is happening. Verse 20 tells me they took a walk. This didn't happen sitting around the fire with the other guys watching and listening. They took a walk. Verse 20 says Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is, by the way, John, uh, son of Zebedee, the Apostle John who wrote this gospel. Okay, so we're identifying him. So Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. The word following gives you the sense that we're on the move here. So Jesus had finished breakfast. Let's come back to verse uh, 15. He had finished breakfast, and this is where I throw in a little editorial uh, accuracy. He puts his arm around Peter, perhaps, and says, Come on, bro, let's take a walk. Okay? You with it now? The rest of the guys, I don't know, they're flossing after breakfast or something, but they're back there. 
and they let these two go. And Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Is the first thing Jesus asked. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, come on, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep a third time. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, Jesus continues, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to Peter again, follow me. If I'm Peter, I'm I'm registering those two words. It's a command, follow me. Peter turned and saw the other disciple, maybe because it was so intense. You ever do that where you break eye contact and just go, oh, wow, hey, it's going to (laughs) rain or whatever, you know? Follow me. Peter turned, saw the other disciple uh, whom Jesus loved was following him. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper, uh, John 13, and had said, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Talk about changing the subject, right? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you, Peter? You must follow me, he repeats. Because of this, the rumor spread among the uh, believers that this disciple would not die, John the Baptist, or John the, um, the, the apostle. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain until alive until I return, What is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And the gospel ends. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written, it would take a library full. The world couldn't contain the books that would record the events that were written. Call it the shore of second chances. I've been on that shore. Many of us have, 40 of us, on a trip uh, two years ago to the Holy Land. And I've probably told this before, but there's three heart-shaped rocks that have been placed into the sand on that beach, signifying the three times Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? Ken Geyer, um, who, um, who really inspired many uh, of these moments with the Master in his book, Moments with the Savior. I'd encourage you to get that book, and many of you have. A, it's, it's a keeper. It's, it's worth. He expresses what's hard to miss when listening to this interaction. Even if you've heard it a lot, he expresses some things that are hard to miss between Jesus and Peter. I'm quoting, what Jesus says is remarkable. But what he doesn't say is even more so. He doesn't say, some friend you turned out to be, Peter. He doesn't say, uh, you know, I'm super disappointed in you. 
Can I just tell you something about my relationship with my dad? Um, I grew up uh, not afraid of his, uh, he called them swats. We'd get a swat. It's from the swastika family of word. No, just kidding. <laughs> it, it was a swat. We would get a swat, and sometimes two. And I've told you he, preaching sometimes, had a little signal system. And we were out there because mom was in the choir and dad was here, and that meant we were unsupervised. Angels. <laughs> and my father would put somewhere in his sermon, he'd kind of linger a while with a finger on the cheek. Can you see my finger, you online? I'll bet you can. You see it better. Well, he would linger. One time he was uh, deep in thought, and it happened to correspond to when we were really messing up. And on that particular Sunday, I remember him going like this. <laughs> and I, I can count. And I, I ran away from home that day. And uh, <laughs> today's the first day I've seen my dad in uh, 45 years. <laughs> no, the truth is, I, I lived in fear not of the SWAT. I had those coming. But the thing that I would dread the most, and I never heard it from my dad, he probably had to check a dictionary to find out other words that he could use, but it was the word, Steve, you're a disappointment to me. Peter had it coming. But Geyer is saying, nope. Jesus never got him in a headlock and went, poof. You're a disappointment to me, dude. He never, he never went there. He, he didn't say, you let me down. He didn't. This was the first conversation after that night for him to say, to, to level him. What do we say? Pound of flesh? He could have taken a ton of flesh. He didn't do that. He doesn't say, you're all talk, Peter. You're a coward. That's what you are. Boy, was I wrong about you. I'm still quoting. And you call yourself a disciple? No. You see what he said. Simply ask, do you love me? He asked three times. Once for each denial. Okay? Of course. Not to rub Peter's nose in it, but to give Peter the opportunity to openly confess his sin to Jesus. Yes, 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 he said to Jesus in reply. And get this, he said that alone. Remember, I've established that. You say, why did I have you imagine them going off alone? Because it was just Pete and Jesus, but not for long. A very short time later, four weeks perhaps, for sure within a few weeks, Peter would say it to a vast crowd, powerfully proclaimed in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost where people were freaking out at what is this commotion in our city? What's going on? And Peter stands up, grabs the mic and said, let me tell you what it is. And he tells everybody about the Jesus he loves. No restraint. 
And if that's not enough in Acts chapter 2, then go two chapters later and you will find Jesus standing with John before Caiaphas. He was the one that rigged the, 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 the uh, trial to condemn Jesus. The same Caiaphas, only this time it's Peter. And he's standing before Caiaphas and, and the Sanhedrin. And he's telling them, you guys are wrong. Jesus is the way. He is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the promise keeper. He is Lord. And, and you know what they said in answer to that? The, the, Peter says, there is no, one under, uh, no other name under heaven given by which mankind must be saved. And this was their answer. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realize these guys are unschooled. They didn't go to some high-flying seminary. They're unschooled, ordinary men. These words are recorded in Acts 4, verse 13. They were astonished. Whoa, that's astonished. Did not see you saying that. That's astonished. And then they... They concluded that these men had to have been the ones with Jesus. Peter, remember him on that night? He ran for cover. I don't know him. Why, why would you say that? Because I'm scared to death I'm next. Now he's standing before the very people that did that and said, bring it. Changed man. Um. He had failed, but that didn't define him. He did not walk around with failures. It was defining for him, though. Tim Hansel is an author with the Lord now. Many years ago, we lived in Southern Cal, and he was a professor down there and uh, involved in ministry. Wrote a lot of books, and I bought them all. Because they're really cool. Uh, you know why? I guess the bottom line, he, uh, he makes it personal. He tells his story. And um, one of my favorite is Holy Sweat, titled Holy Sweat. Um, holy is our highest calling. Sweat is what it will take to get there. <laughs> Isn't that good? It's really true. So, but then he says this, uh, the subtitle, The Remarkable Things Ordinary People Can Do When They Let God Use Them. In that book, there's a chapter on failure. It's the chapter that rings a big bell. It rang it for him. You could tell he's telling it like he lived it. But it rang for me too because I thought, this guy gets me. This guy gets a lot of people that make their way into my office. You notice you get in there and you failed? I don't kick you out. Why? Because I was that guy. Quoting now from Hansel as he wrote firsthand about failure. I'm continually amazed with my own failures. But the wonder of it all is that God keeps working in me and through me anyway. Isn't that good? I'm convinced he's worked more through. You know where I'm going. You know where he's going. I'm convinced he's worked more through my failures than any of my successes, and he was hugely successful. I'm so grateful the Bible is packed 
with failures. And you know who made the list first? The Peters. The, the Davids. The Moseses. The, the, the John Marks and the Jonas. And he's just getting started. Their stories show me that God isn't looking at our, at our achievements, but at us. And that even my failures can be used for his ultimate glory. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we've read here today powerful truth. We've tried to embrace it. Most of us have no difficulty doing so because it's, it's so close to home. Peter's failures were used mightily by you. And I'm going to ask you right now, in the middle of my prayer, have you gotten to that place yet, you who are hearing these words, you who are listening in and joining us, that, that, that God can use those failures, not to define you, but to be defining in your life now, where his reach is extended further than it could have been, through your failures because you get to tell an extraordinary story God that's the truth that I know you want us to get some of us and some people we know aren't sure about post failure prospects um, but we want to be the kind of post failure Peter was not the post failure Judas was how can we go from people who've concluded my mistakes don't define me my mistakes were the making of me and I know the answer Jesus Christ may you help us by your mercy and grace to be truth tellers that God wants to use us again wants to heal us and forgive us and break us free from the bondage of the past and make us new the answer is you Lord Jesus and so we come to you right now and we say thank you make us the kind of people that are amazed continuously by your love for us even when we were dirty, broken and had failed help us to tell without stuttering we know a God of second chances and we worship you now in response in the name of Jesus we say we love you